Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's night. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999 from a beauty pageant here in 2020. That might be our second beauty pageant, not sure. Yeah, I think uh, so. Happy Texas. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. And I'm Phil Iscove. I feel like Drop Dead Gorgeous. Drop Dead Gorgeous. We've had a few beauty pageant movies this year. <laughs> we have had a few beauty pageant movies. Um, and with us today yeah. to talk about flawless is the flawless matthew d'ambrosio right from well go ahead no i was gonna say that is the best way to be introduced (laughs) yes flawless yes flawless like the adjective was intended not like the movie we're about to discuss exactly uh matt is a writer he wrote on vampire diaries and witcher currently on witcher Mm -hmm. um and uh, he's a return guest. He talked about yes. teaching Mrs. Tingle before, and I think this is uh, in the running for. Uh, I think Tingle this movie. I think Freaky. this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back to talking about a bad movie. <laughs> is this? I mean, can we say that this movie's this movie's worse than teaching Mrs. Tingle? Right? Oh, absolutely. I, yeah, yeah. Teaching Mrs. Tingle was bad. Don't <laughs> don't discount it. It was pretty <laughs> terrible. But I still had fun with teaching Mrs. Tangle. I had yeah. no fun with this movie. <laughs> no, I mean I did. I had some no fun. fun. I had like there was like ten percent fun. Yeah, uh, it's I, oh whew, yeah. I'll say this: I was excited about teaching Mrs. Tangle because of the, um, you know, the genre that it exists in. Right, like it's trying Williamson to kind of it. have fun. 
Yeah, like and 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 it's 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 a failure, but like it at least was trying to you know have a little bit of fun. Um, this movie's it's 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 tough. There's a lot here to unpack, um, which I feel like is also the problem. <laughs> like there's just there was so yeah, much going on in this movie. That is a yeah. big problem with the movie. It's it really feels like you know I'm I, I'm sure we've all heard the the terminology of a kitchen sink movie, but it, it really feels like like Joel Schumacher, and we need to talk Joel Schumacher obviously on a on a macro level. But you know, at this point in his career, this is sort of probably his last. I don't want to say that this this might be a blank check movie if I'm being completely honest to some degree because he's still got he's still got some clout. You know, he's, he's, he can get movies made. Um, I was surprised on some level to, to do a little bit of a deep dive into how many films he had written prior to this. Cause he's actually got a pretty, you know, deep bench of movies that he wrote. Um, so like, this isn't this, I guess what I'm getting at here is this feels like a first script to me, <laughs> but it's not cause this guy's written a bunch of scripts before it. It felt like a movie that was written in a weekend. Yeah. Like, it was just like, he wrote the draft, and then everyone's like, you're Joel Schumacher, you can write and direct it, of course. Yeah. But then it's like, nothing got edited out of it. And so there are so many storylines that just go nowhere that you're like, what? What? Why is why is Rory Kinnear, right? Like, why is he playing guitar and singing about this girl? And that's like all he does in the movie. Yeah. The, the scene that really jumps out at me... It, Rory that, that, Coltrane, right? Uh, Cochran, I believe is Cochran. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're both, you know, the scene that really stuck out like a sore thumb to me was the scene with the gay Republicans where they have that meeting with all those gay Republicans to what end? I'm still not sure. I don't know why they sat down with them. And it's also, it's such a, it's such a weird scene because it's like, again, it's something that just goes nowhere. Nowhere. It's like, it just, it felt like Joel Schumacher was like, I hate log cabin Republicans and I'm just going to talk about it. <laughs> and it's like, okay, but like, to what end? Like, why? Like, why, why is this happening? It's also and like, and here is, and here is my fundamental, I have so many things to say. Here's yeah, my yeah, please, fundamental please. problem with the movie is that it's called flawless, but it's about Robert De Niro. <laughs> like, we don't even get to see the flawless beauty pageant. We see the end yeah, of it. The end we don't even get to, like, yeah. yeah. You see the sign. Yeah, you see the side, you see like a couple of drag queens, one of which doing a very, very bad uh, politically incorrect song. Mm-hmm. It's a yeah. So it, it it's really it's really a terrible movie. <laughs> it's only a margin it, in in the in the annals of trans movies. Yes, it's only marginally dangerous, which is you know good. I think it's it's not the most dangerous trans Correct. movie Correct. I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh or you know kind of you know uh it it does perpetuate a lot of negative stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Um yes. not as bad as other movies I've seen. It does cast a cis actor to play a trans leading man or lead, trans leading woman in this case. Um which is which is rife with problems, but again, Correct. something that happened all the time in 1999. So, you know, it's it was yeah. kind of baked into a movie about the culture at that point. Um, it 
the trans character in this movie is essentially a trans version of a magical Negro. Um, the trans yeah. character is essentially, you know, a beaten woman who is forced, who is, who can only find love in an abusive relationship. Um, she only, well, romantic love. I mean, it's the, it, in theory, she finds something. Romantic love is yeah. what I mean. Yeah. And that's, and that, that is, I think, you know, kind of one of the big fears. Yeah. Um, she, uh, she, I mean, I, I lost my train of thought, but basically the whole point is like, it's a total mess and it's a hard thing to criticize as a cis person, as a cis straight person, because it comes from a, from a, a, a noted somewhat flamboyant openly gay man a a a a person who's kind of a hero in the gay community to some extent so it's easy for me in 2020 to say i'm you know this this woke white guy and i know trans culture better than you joel schumacher schumacher but i don't and i don't understand it so it's like you know, to some extent, and Matthew, I'm sure you could speak to this to some extent, but but we don't have a trans person on the show. Um, we are going to be quoting a I lot have, from something Emily Vanderwerf wrote, our yeah. friend who's I, been on the podcast a lot. But and who um, I texted with the other day for for an even more current perspective on it to some degree. But yeah, because I, I was like reading her review of it, and it's like I I do see that Philip Seymour Hoffman did bring something to the role it's like he does better in the role of this trans woman than i think the movie deserves and i think emily made the same point too and it's just like it's it's like that's the thing that's like 10 percent of the movie to me is like if you could just make this like there you had all the ingredients and it just was mishandled at every step of the way yeah i mean i i think that this film has the best of intentions now you know what they say that the road paved to hell is the best of attention. So, so does, it's so not a green book, which this movie is a lot like to me. And I, I see that. I, I, again, I'm not. I'm not writing for this movie. You know, well, obviously, I'll I'll read some of Emily's thoughts and and Roger Ebert's three out of four star review of this film. Um, you know, I think that that you know, it seemed like Joel Schumacher was trying to do too much. And I think by trying to do too much, he just sort of it's it's just it's spread too thin in a bunch of different areas. The script is is, you know, the script is a mess in terms of injecting all sorts of weird crime drama into this story in order to give it some sort of sense of energy or adrenaline, which is obviously misguided. Um, You know, it's 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 not a good movie. I'm not writing for it, but I do think that, um, you know, this isn't an evil movie, I guess is what I'm getting at. I don't think that, I, I don't think that there are much, there are much darker, more terrible movies with worse intentions in terms of depictions of any number of different types of people. Um, this movie is flawed. It is not flawless. It is it's not, not flawless. flawless. So, so I yeah. filibustered a little bit. Matt, what do you think of the movie? You said you had so much to talk about. So what do you? Uh, yeah, well, I just think want, it's what, like, what do you want to unpack here? There's just yeah. Well, first of all, like I mean, it, it, God, where do we even start? It's like the amount of times I was like joking with my boyfriend, where it's like, what if I wrote the musical version of this about 
like Robert De Niro being friends with like a trans woman who like teaches him how to talk again after a stroke. And it's like that funny version of like, and then like his joke was like, how many times is Robert De Niro going to say faggot? Like you should have a song that's all oh. that. And it's like, it was one of those things, like the first, like one of the first lines of dialogue in the movie, it feels like it's just like, yep. I mean, I wish I had kept count. It felt like it was more than 40 times that Robert De Niro and his friends say it easily. Yeah. And it, yeah. and it's just like, at first I was like, okay, well, Joel Schumacher wrote this. So am I giving him a pass? But as the movie went on, I was just like, no, you know what? I'm not. I just, I, I, I just can't. And it like, it, it's it, again, it, it gets to so many parts where I'm just like, the friendships between Philip Seymour Hoffman and all of like those, like the drag queens and stuff. It's like, literally you have the, like the original angel from rent in this movie. Yeah. And it's like, you, you reduce that character to just lusting over a straight person in a way that's like, like, Oh man, like you had, you, you had everything you could have needed. And then it's all like wrapped around this stupid, like crime plot that is so boring. And they're just like trying to find their money. It's all, and it's like, who cares? Like, the crime oh, cool. This guy's getting, awful. this guy's getting beat up, and they push over his motorcycle. I could not give less of a shit. And it's yeah. just like so many scenes like that where did they just go nowhere? Now, Green Book has the the big problem with Green Book is that it's you know to me for a million there are a lot of problems with Green Book, but Green Book came out in 2018 Correct. when everybody knew better. Right? When yeah. everybody knew better, you know you don't show this narrative from one person's point of view, from the white person's point of view. Um, so again, it's easy to look at Flawless through the lens of 2020 and say it fucked up. But it does make for a worse movie to be riding with De Niro the entire time. It puts It assumes that the audience shares his points of view about gay people and about trans people. Which they mm-hmm. might, but like, mm-hmm. I don't want, I don't, that, the thing is like, I'm not so excited to redeem those people anyway. If you go into that movie with those, with those attitudes, Philip Seymour Hoffman singing, you know, Shirley, Shirley, Bo Burley is not going to change your mind. And particularly like Phil and I have a disagreement about Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance. I didn't like it. I just, I felt and we're we're to dis, this is just disagreement. This is I think just a very classic like agree to disagree. I felt like he was embarrassed by some of the lines that he said, and I, some of the lines are pretty clever or at least camp clever on paper. The kind of things that if a, pe- a person said it, if a person thought of it to say it, I think they'd be kind of proud of themselves. And he swallows a lot of those lines, and I think he swallows a lot of his performance, particularly when he is not. He is more out in the real world than he is in his apartment. And that just felt a little muted to me. And of course, you know, trans trans multitudes, but the words that were coming out of his mouth, by that I mean Philip Zumer Hoffman, uh, did not match the tone in which he delivered those lines. And that's kind of what bugged me. Well. I, so I I hear that, um, and I'm. I guess the best way for me to sort of say what I liked about his performance was not the flamboyant qualities of it. What I liked about his performance was actually the smaller, quieter moments, the moments where it felt like Phil Schumer Hoffman was was doing the work and digging deep and trying to find you know, the soul of this person. Um, 
that to me resonates to some degree. Again, I'm not recommending this film. I don't think this is a good movie, but if there's a bright spot in this film, I think it's his performance. I think that um, it was probably his biggest movie role up until this point. That's true. You know, it was, it, and, and, and it did feel like it got him, you know, it got him a Screen Actors Guild nomination for what that's worth. Um, you know, I think uh, it's, ooh, nothing. It's worth. Sorry, Sag. We still love you. Be that as it may, I thought that you know I'm. I'm gonna let me just quickly read a little bit of Emily Vanderwerf's AV Club review back from 2014. She said. Uh, Joel Schumacher wrote and directed Flawless, and to modernize, more aware of LGBT issues, the film's handling of Rusty will seem like a weird mishmash of various types and tropes popular at the time. For one thing, Schumacher clumsily conflates the drag queen scene with trans women and vice versa. But the film attracted the most award success Hoffman had seen to date. Um, he could have made Rusty a flamboyant cliche, but he chose whenever possible to dig deeper, to figure out how it might be to long so deeply to become oneself, but be struck without economic options to make the transition. Hoffman's work is quiet, moving and humanistic, and it provides the film with a core Schumacher doesn't remotely earn. No matter, this is another movie worth seeing almost entirely for the Titanic world. Hoffman does near its center. Um, I, 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 for the most part, I agree with that. I mean, I, I think that that's probably where I land on this thing, which is it's not a good movie. If there's anything good to come from it, it is his performance. Um, I also just want to quickly read a, a, a text that uh, that Emily and I had um, the other day about this. Uh, she said. My general take on cis actors playing trans roles is they can never wholly capture transness, but they can come close if they do the work. I think Philip Seymour Hoffman did the work. Um, so how do you feel? That, uh, how do you feel after watching Disclosure about that? I mean, I, I, I never again, right? Like I, never I, again. I don't. I don't disagree, and I'm not. Again, like I'm. I'm not sitting here necessarily defending him portraying rusty in this movie i feel and you, i think I, feel I, I think that moving forward i think we absolutely should do our part to make sure that the trans people portray trans characters um but all that being said this film exists and we're here to talk about this film for all intents and purposes so th- that's kind of where i land on this thing and it's kind of the only hill I would be willing to die on in the discussion of this film because I think everything else is pretty much dreck and bad. Um, and then Philip Seymour Hoffman, I miss him. He's great. I wish that we got to have more work from him. And to your point, Kenny, when we were texting the other day, I wish that him and Robert De Niro worked together in a better movie. Yeah. Because I mean, just quickly, De Niro's hidden under the effects of the stroke and it's brutal to see my favorite actor have to, you know, talk through the side of his mouth and not be able to yeah. emote. But Schubacher, so here's, you know, woke white straight guy from 2020 <laughs> makes a couple of really, really kind of weird choices that are that are bad. Um, one is uh, the dog, the dog day afternoon of the plot in 1999. The idea that uh, the only thing that a trans person would care about is getting a sex change operation or, or, or gender reassignment operation. 
Um, so that's not great. Second is the conflation of drag drag queen culture and trans culture, which I thought this was a drag queen movie. I didn't realize it was a trans movie. Um, and we could talk about. I thought this fell. I thought this fell in the Priscilla Queen of the Desert, Tu Wong Fu, Cabaret. You know, kind of school of Birdcage. Birdcage, yeah, school of of drag queen movies. Um, so did I, by the way. I didn't. I didn't know this and, was a trans movie either. And it and it, I don't think that it I, it does not it does not discern the difference between the two, which are it's just wildly different. And that's borne out by a line that C, Philip Seymour Hoffman has near the end of the movie, which undercuts the entire fucking character when he says to De Niro, "I'm more man than you'll ever be, and more woman than you'll ever get." Come on, like that is. That to me is someone didn't do their homework, right? There was probably not a single trans person on set, so or maybe there was, and they just didn't feel like they they, they were you know empowered to speak up. But um, I, that, I couldn't agree with you more that yeah. that line encapsulates all of the problems with this movie. I yelled. <laughs> in, I was like, one hey, come line. on. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. But it's, just, it's like that sort of thing where it's like, it feels like Joel Schumacher saw the birdcage in 96 and thought, I can do that. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. I'm going to make it grittier. And it's like, my big, one of my biggest problems with the movie, besides the content being awful and like mishandled, <laughs> is just that it's like the tone is just like, is it supposed to be funny? Is it supposed to be serious? Yeah. Like, it's like, it, it doesn't know what it wants to be. And the other thing about it is like, you know, there's, there still is a lot of like anti-trans sentiment in the, in the gay, in the gay community. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it's like for a white gay man to write this the white cis gay man to write this movie and just like, and have lines like what you just said, Kenny, it's just like, you don't understand. Yeah. Like you, did you even ask like a trans person how they would feel about this? Because that's not, I don't think, and like, and like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend I can speak for a trans person, but like, even as a human, he's hearing that line is like, that doesn't, compute with that experience so i I could i couldn't agree with you more and i feel like i I feel like we need to just quickly kind of go through the ramp up of of schumacher's career into this film because i do think that it really gives as i was watching like looking at as i was looking at this at his filmography while watching this film because it really helped me sort of understand how he got here. So he de- he wrote a bunch of stuff. He wrote a movie called DC Cab with Mr. T uh, back in the 80s. He wrote The Wiz, the screenplay to the, the movie The Wiz. Uh, his, and then he gets St. Elmo's Fire, and that's obviously a, a very big deal. That, that really kind of puts him on the map. He does St. Elmo's Fire. He does The Lost Boys in 87. Um, then he does Cousins with Ted Dance, which I never saw. Uh, that he does Flatliners in 1990, Dying Young in 91, Falling Down in 93, The Client in 94, then it's Batman Forever in 95, and then Time to Kill in 96, Batman and Robin in 97, and then 8mm and Flawless in 99. This is a guy who is really cresting. I mean, he's being, this is him at, at kind of the peak of his powers, even if Batman and Robin was a big flop and a big disaster. It's still great. <laughs> <laughs> it's still good. That's amazing. For you. It's not a good movie, but I love it. <laughs> that I agree with. It's Holy not it metal, Batman. All time. <laughs> um, but, but I do think that 
a millimeter in flawless and then Tigerland is is Joel Schumacher trying to get gritty it's him thinking I can do gritty I I can I can get into the you know into the into the tough stuff and he can't like it's just that's just not his lane yeah well, but but falling down is the tough stuff that's true and falling true. down falling down is a good movie yes movie so and like eight millimeter two is also like it's also a good movie it's just the subject it matter is yeah. hard but I, it's I, this was yeah just not it he probably shouldn't have used the same production designer, lighting designer, set. Yeah. The, like, <laughs> they look exactly the same. Yeah. And turned over to the stats. I know. He, they just went right, right into it. Oh, come with me. We're, yeah. <laughs> In 12 hours, they got to get Nicolas Cage yeah. on the set. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they just cross yeah, They just cross-boarded the two movies. Yeah, they like, just double-boarded it. Yeah. Like, that's what it yeah. felt like. It just, it had, I, I, I hated the way Flawless looked. No, I couldn't believe it. It 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 made every it made the experience now like to some extent there is some there is a movie in a trans character uh-huh. living this impoverished life, which is essentially that's, what he was doing. That's what it, that's and I think that's what frustrates me so much is that there is such a kernel to that that I'm like I would want to see that even like and not maybe not necessarily as homophobic but it's like you know a conservative ish robert de niro learning to be cool with like queer trans people like i i could like that movie and like i said the ingredients are there where it's like you almost had it well you didn't almost have it because like you obviously yeah. didn't get there but it was just like there were so many moments where you're just like like okay cool like this partnering could be great and it's yeah. it's just not but it's i mean it really it's it's interesting because as you were saying that i was thinking to myself what's the best version of this movie and and there is a good version of this movie i i do believe in in better in a better writer's hands a better director's hands um you know it's part of the problem i think is to kenny your point on the on the the green book of it all which is when a studio gets involved in a movie like this to some degree or another you start to feel, you know, the the universality of it, this desire of trying to make it a hit, this desire of trying to make it into something big and, and accessible to a lot of people. And that lack of specificity leads you to, you know, your bullshit with this drug money and, and you know, all of this nonsense yeah. that just this movie needs to be a small character piece between two people from two very different worlds finding some sort of commonality. But what we're left with is just a mishmash, like the shaky camera shit and the, just, just all of it. It's just, it's, it's, yeah, it's very formless. Like it's just, it's, it's a, it's a mess. Yeah. What's a little annoying about it is the birdcage was such a massive hit and Mm -hmm. such a massive cultural moment. Um, And I think the lesson people might have taken away from that and from movies like Mrs. Doubtfire and from other movies where you play, we had these, you know, famous actors playing, playing drag mm-hmm. as big and body um, was you go big and body when you do that. And you see it in, you know, Eddie Murphy's done it. And Martin Lawrence has done it and on and on and on. And Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance though I am not particularly fond of it, it's very muted, right? And I do wonder 
if the lesson people took away from it was if you're going to have a a a femme presenting male actor whether it's drag or trans in your movie go big go crazy because right. because making the rest of the movie crazy which is what i think he was kind of trying to do trying mm-hmm. to kind of wrap it in this like stupid ass crime bow it's so bad um so what well, i i think <laughs> that good. no it's terrible and i I think that was really, you know, to some extent what really killed the movie. But I do wonder if at the time the the, the lesson they took away from it was uh, more Big Mama's houses, less, you know, quieter kind of performances. And there is a reason why you didn't see a lot of these kind of performances in mainstream movies um, like fucking forever until like a couple of years ago. And I think oh. that's like one of the things that I, you know, really rubbed me the wrong way with this movie where, cause like the birdcage is honestly one of my favorite movies of all time. Like even from like a young age before I movie. even knew what, like, what gay was, I was like, Ooh, me. I'm like Nathan <laughs> Lane. Like I like, I like that yeah. character. Yeah. And so I think that's like with this movie, you know, you look at, it, it just feels so hyper masculine, masculinized. Like there's like a lot of toxic masculinity in this movie in a way that is just so hard to watch and not fun to watch where it's like, I kept thinking of like, what is my, like, what would be my version of this movie? And it would be Robert De Niro helping like this trans woman with her drag show. Like that's the movie that I want to see because it's like, I keep thinking of like, what, like my favorite part of like the birdcage is Gene Hackman and drag. Like yeah. it's like, it's so amazing. It's, everything yeah. is leading to that moment. He is a ultra conservative. And then in the end of the movie, you see him in the wig and he doesn't know what to do, but he's still like doing it. And it's like, I was waiting for like moments like that, but it felt like this movie was so focused on this is, you know, masculinity. Robert De Niro is a man. And like, it's just, it was like transness filtered through that Steve. It's a weird kind of, it, it, it's a weird climax. It, it really ideas. felt. You, can you, the, the weird climax is. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Okay. I, it almost feels like the lesson Robert De Niro learned is that a damsel in distress can also be a trans woman. Like, I, 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 you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Cause he didn't learn much. What, 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 what this movie actually, now that we've been talking about it kind of reminds me of, as we talk about it is as good as it gets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, A little bit of that sort of a curmudgeon, character that that we can ultimately hopefully come to love who is forced to have a relationship with i mean there's with a gay character or gay characters you know but but the the difference of course is and and the reason that i that i thought of that is because i think that that de niro being our protagonist is what destroys the movie because it's the tonal issue and it's he's the prism that we have to see it through and we don't want to see the movie through that guy's eyes so it's just to your point matt like it it over masculinizes the film and it just creates like you almost think i would have rathered the film be from rusty's perspective mm-hmm. and that he's forced into the life of this curmudgeonly supporting character um I think that just the, the I just think it's a perspective thing. I think the film's perspective is from the wrong people. Yeah. But w- why does as good as it gets work? Because and this it doesn't works really fucking yeah, yeah. well. And this doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
And I, I think you like you know the characters. It's the characters, like right. I mean, yeah. and as good as it gets, yeah. Like you know, Jack Nicholson is a curmudgeon, but you know him to such an extent that not that you get it, but you're along for the ride with it. But like when your point of view for this movie is a homophobic ex-cop, like I, I don't it, from the immediate get-go, it's like why am I supposed to sympathize with this guy having a stroke? Yep. It's like he has like he has called Philip Seymour Hoffman a faggot like a million times already. Yeah. Like, why am I supposed to give a shit that now that, you know, that queer trans person is supposed to take pity on him for not being able to talk anymore. I think that's the reason too, because the, in as good as it gets, anything Jack Nicholson says to Greg Kinnear's character, as bigoted as it is, is so clearly coming from a place of sadness and vulnerability Right. Like he is so he is so destroyed by his OCD that you have to feel some level of empathy for him and hope that he can get better because he's had a hard life. Whereas all I fucking have to he- all I hear about this De Niro character is that he was a hero over and over. You're a hero. Yeah. You're a hero cop. This guy's a hero. What he goes to the bar. All the women want him. Like everything seems pretty fucking good for this guy. He has yep. the stroke trying to save people's lives again. I, I don't want to see him back on his feet at all. <laughs> I, I like, yeah, he, I, him I, having I, a stroke mm-hmm. is kind of a good thing for society. <laughs> and it's like it's interesting too because like in as, in in him talking about his life and like talking about that friend who like ran off and disappeared in Asia. Yeah. It's like part of me is hoping for like, did that friend go off to Asia to get gender re- like reassignment surgery? Because that'd be yeah. That's that was like I was yeah. like, okay, like so you have a connection to this. And then the other thing is like his other friend seems kind of cool. Like yeah. at first he's a little homophobic, but then he's hanging out with these like queer drag queens and having a good time and not being an asshole about it. And I'm like, where's yep. that movie? Like yep. that's like that's the character that I feel like I want to see more of. I think the other reason that how this movie differs from as good as it gets, Kenny, to your other, to your question too, is James L. Brooks is not a plot guy. He doesn't give a shit about plot. He cares about story and character. He cares about how those two things fuse together. Um, This movie has too much plot (laughs) for its own good at times. Um, And Schumacher's just not, I'd say that one of his biggest issues ultimately is that he's always dialing everything up, right? Because he doesn't, maybe he doesn't feel comfortable. Maybe he thinks that our audience will get bored. I don't know what it is, but he's not a, a, a guy who's comfortable just letting the movie slow the fuck down and just have two people talk, which is sort of surprising because this film actually has a fair amount of those scenes where these two people have to just sit down and talk and open up to each other. And that's when the movie, if the movie shines at all, it's during those scenes, I think. But but that's kind of the thing where it's like he's always kind of he always just needs something happening. You know, and 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 that's I mean, even look at something like Phone Booth, which is a bizarre movie that that I'm shouldn't work at all, which is that the entire fucking thing takes place in a phone booth. Um it also is a relic of a time when phone booths mattered, but that's either here yeah. or there. Well that was the last phone booth in New York, right? Isn't that the whole thing? <laughs> that's the conceit of the movie. Like they obviously is that wrote actually the conceit of the movie? Yeah, they wrote yeah. this movie and clearly they're like, wait, there are no phone booths anymore. Just make it the last one in New York. Just just let's just that- <laughs> I'm serious. It's hysterical. I know you are. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. But again, like that's the type of thing where 
I kind of respect Joel Schumacher for being like, fuck it. Yeah. Okay. Let's do the phone booth movie. Like he's, he's a guy that's willing to kind of take these, cr- he was, uh, you know, rest in peace. I, he, I he hated that person. movie. I know some I, people love that movie and it's my I kind don't of love movie because I love crazy, stupid fucking swings. <laughs> I'm crazy about like, like, <laughs> man, like I watched man on a ledge because I like a movie about a man sure. on a ledge. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, and I like Kenny man on loves ledge. ledges. It's so weird. It's man, so weird. On, man on a ledge is the weirdest movie. Like every character has, every character has a last name oh. that is racially inappropriate for them. Right? Like, like the black character has a Jewish name. Like the Indian. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I Ackerman. Know, I, I, I believe the, you. Anthony Mackie plays a character whose last name is Ackerman. That's like my, my dad's, my, my dad's attorney is, is Ackerman. So whatever. Man on a ledge, not good. A little better than phone booth, but some people really like phone booth. Phone booth was just a movie that like shouldn't have worked and mostly didn't work, but I watched a, a DVD of it when I worked at a video store. Cause I was like, huh, I wonder if phone booth works. Most of, the time, <laughs> yeah. most of it doesn't work, but, but I just, I, this more than anything, it's an example of the type of filmmaker that, that Joel Schumacher kind of turned into that maybe he didn't want to, but he became, which was, you know, he could get a movie made, but like his budgets kept shrinking near the end of his career. He made a bunch of movies that basically no one saw. I mean, I think the last movie of his that got really any kind of notoriety was his Phantom of the Opera movie, which is considered very bad. Yeah, I mean, but but oh, also, to be fair, that musical also. I was gonna say, <laughs> like the musical kind of sucks. Yeah. So like, you guys are wrong. <laughs> I mean, listen, I also I saw that Phantom coming. Shirt, as like a young, like, a young not gay person had a Phantom shirt that he wore all the time. Yeah. So like, I I know Phantom and I hate Phantom. <laughs> I, just to be clear, Kenny, I think Phantom has some bangers. I'm not saying it doesn't have some good songs. I just think that overall, it's not a it's not great. It's okay. I can handle that. Fan- <laughs> I like it Lo- more than Rent. I'll say that. Andrew Lloyd Webber. Oh, wow. um, Andrew Lloyd Webber uh, is generally good for one good song, a musical. This one has like five. So like you gotta, <laughs> gotta give pretty, him more credit where credit's due. It's pretty bad, but it is definitely his best musical musical, best music musical. Uh, okay, Rent. Okay. Talk to me about how much you hate Rent. Oh, I just hate it. I hate it so much. <laughs> I mean, like, I yeah. I hate every single song. And it's like I'm happy that it exists. I am so happy that people love it a lot. Um I just don't. I think it's so cloying and saccharine and just like treacly um and it's like maybe if i had seen it live when it first premiered i would have a better reaction right. to it but it's like everything has been filtered through like secondhand theater kids like in the late 90s to the point where i'm just like i'm tired of singing this fucking seasons <laughs> of love, love song i hate it so much i'll, I'll rent- say this yeah go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Uh, I, was, I was just gonna say like i, I did see rent live uh, there's a handful of songs of Rents that I like, but I do think in its own weird way, it has similar problems that Flawless has, which is it's overstuffed. Yeah. It's trying to do too much. It, it's it kind of, it, it's, and it glosses over big issues. Um, so, but I also say that, you know, part of it is obviously Larson's narrative. Um, the fact that we lost him so young and the fact that, you know, this movie, this, sorry, his musical was so, 
sort of tightly hewn to his mm-hmm. his story gives it a, a whole sort of other level of of. So I I understand why people love Rent, even if I'm not like the biggest Rent fan. But anyway. I liked Angel more in this movie than I did in Rent. Oh, I'm just kidding. No, I didn't. There's no way. <laughs> Rent probably sucks. Um, <laughs> but uh, but it doesn't. And 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 Lindsay Ellis. I don't know if you guys have watched Lindsay Ellis on YouTube. Lindsay Ellis just destroys it in one of her video essays, and it made me feel real stupid forever liking it. Um, <laughs> no, it does. It does probably suck, but um, I don't know. One song, Glory. That does it for me. <laughs> it's a good song. It's a good song. Sure. Yeah. sure, um, sure. I like Santa so- Fe. <laughs> yeah i mean i think kenny and i feel the same way about rent there's like a handful of rent songs that like every now and then i'm, I'm like i have a hankering to listen to rent i'm so happy that you guys like it truly i i think i think <laughs> rent probably sucks and i think rent probably is like is like intro to gayness for square little straight kids like me and phil and, and again <laughs> i think that's why i can appreciate it because it's like right like i mean i grew up in a small town too and I'm so glad that, you know, those people had rent. I didn't. I had Rocky Horror Picture Show and, like, gay porn. <laughs> <laughs> that was my intro to Kenneth. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Uh, um, so I, I'm going to read the synopsis of Flawless uh, real quick here for the people who haven't seen it. Uh, a former security guard, play, uh, Walter Kuntz, played by uh, Robert De Niro, experiences a severe stroke and must begin physical therapy after leaving the hospital. Part of Walt's recovery program includes regaining his speech by taking singing lessons. And he gets paired with Rusty, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, a vocal instructor and neighbor. Walt, however, is extremely homophobic and Rusty is flamboyantly gay and awaiting gender assignment surgery. So the two don't have an easy relationship. Uh, an easy start to their relationship. This movie was written and directed by Joel Schumacher. It opened on Thanksgiving weekend, November 26th, 1999. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> In uh, 11th place against End of Days, uh, which uh, with $2 million. Right, it would go... Yeah, End of Days, great movie. Uh, uh, it would go on to make $4.4 million on a $15 million budget. Uh, Flawless has 41% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and 53 from audiences. Uh, I'm going to read a very quick portion of Ebert's three out of four star review. The plot of Flawless is too busy and sometimes strays from fictional hitherlands. Mm-hmm. Rusty's uh, posse of drag friends has a way of turning up on cue like the factory workers in Carmen. 
De Niro is a great technical actor who may have been attracted to this material because of the chance to play a stroke victim. His performance not only gets Walt's symptoms right, but also shows sympathy for the man inside. Hoffman, who played the pathetic man who made dirty phone calls and happiness, shows he's one of the best new character actors able to play, able to take a flamboyant role and find the quiet details in it. Too bad they're stuck in a jumbled plot, but as an odd couple, they work. Uh, three out of four stars is absolutely fucking insane. Um, Especially I mean, from what you just read, that does not sound like he even really liked yeah. it that much. Why did yeah. they give it that many stars? Uh, I mean, listen, I Kenny and I can watching Siskel and Ebert uh, yep. review this movie. Yep, I don't remember it being positive reviews. I, I remember I, I thought it was a pretty negative yeah. review. I also remember being a big Philip Seymour Hoffman fan because Boogie Nights was like kind of my favorite movie. Sure, um, and uh, kind of being excited for him that yep. he has this chance to now be like you know, above the title. Like this guy was like six, seven, eight people down in every movie he was in. Um, and it was kind of a shame that it was so, I thought it was really poorly received. 41% is a little better than I thought it was. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, the other thing too, is like, this is an MGM movie, MGM. I mean, listen, MGM has been struggling for 20 years at this point, <laughs> but, but, uh, but this was an MGM movie too. So, you know, it didn't, this movie shouldn't have been released on Thanksgiving. I think they thought that they maybe had some, an Oscar nomination chances or something like that for, for one of them. And they wanted oh, they it. They definitely did. Yeah. Can you imagine the family on Thanksgiving weekend? Just like, what's going to the movies? What's playing flawless. <laughs> it's a De Niro pick. Yay. Come on, it's De Niro. And then hey, they show up and they're like, what is this? What movie? the fuck is yeah. this? Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. It's, it's, so it's funny you brought up Rent um, and, and, and musicals because so the cinematography in this movie drove me fucking crazy. But I was like, who shot this thing? And then I looked at his at this uh, cinematographer's filmography and he just did uh, the Hamilton. Uh, I saw that, too. So there you go. <laughs> what? <laughs> he shot a yeah. stand. What a, I, you know, not gonna give what a career trajectory. <laughs> Jeez. You know, he's, he's still alive and he's yeah. still working. It's, uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> literally speechless. Yeah, he is. Uh, <laughs> what do you got, Phil? Phil? Yeah, I mean, I honestly, I just, I, I we obviously should cut, we should walk through the plot a little bit, um, but there's not a ton of plot here, but there kind of is at the same time. It basically opens with all of this like shaky fucking footage of cross cutting between Walt and these criminals busting into his apartment building to try to. We can't really tell what they're doing, but it looks like they're either running from somebody or trying to hide something. It's kind of unclear. Uh, and then, uh, and then Walt yelling at Rusty for singing in his apartment across the hall. Um, and then they cross cut again between Walt and Rusty as they're getting ready for their day. Like there's a lot of sort of like these two worlds are about to collide component that if you stripped away the fucking crime stuff would have worked a lot better because it just gets muddled with all of this. Like then this criminal hides in someone's apartment and other criminals come for the money and you just don't really completely understand what's going on. It's, it's, it's odd. They also do that thing where like, they just have a, a couple of, um, generic looking bad guys of different ethnicities. Yes. You know, just, it, just, just on some like Joker crew shit, you know, how like Joker just yep. pulls out whatever bad guy survived killing each other. <laughs> Poor um, Chris Bauer. 
One of whom yeah. was Chris Bauer, was what I was going to say, who, yeah. was also, who was also an 8-mile. I mean, I'm sorry, 8-millimeter. Yeah. Oh, my God, he was an 8-millimeter. He's the, he's the guy, isn't he, at the he's end? The, yes, he is. He, he's clearly oh Schumacher's got, go-to guy. Yeah. And, and then, then he, he got then he went to work on the docks in uh in Baltimore. Yeah. And then he got to work uh in uh True Blood. Oh, he was in that. He's like the sheriff. Oh, yeah. What's his name in um in in The Wire? Uh, uh Frank Sabaka. Yeah, I love Frank. I love <laughs> Nikki Sabaka. Frank Sabaka, I worked out the docks. <laughs> uh, am I the this only is my nephew Ziggy? <laughs> I love Ziggy and I love Nikki. Yeah. MVPs. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, then we see uh, a bunch of drag queens are trying to go up to Rusty's apartment and Walt doesn't want to share the elevator with them. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. just real, real classy stuff. Stuff cool. to make you to make you like them. Mm-hmm. Things that, yeah. Um, and then uh, the, the criminals show back up. There's a gunfight and Walt tries to say some people he has a stroke. Uh, he wakes up the next day. He's paralyzed partially. He's got uh, facial paralysis and what have you. Um, I don't, I mean, okay. Kenny, you mentioned that you really didn't like De Niro's performance in this film. Well, no, I didn't like his performance. I don't really blame him. I think, I think playing a stroke victim is hard. And, uh, you know, necessarily sure. necessarily restricts your movements. Yeah. Um, it, it just you know, I I really can watch De Niro do almost anything. I absolutely love him. Um, I realized that during three hours of The Irishman, but <laughs> uh, but uh, this was not a, a real a real attractive De Niro performance to me. Uh, in, in the in the cursory research that I did on this film, because I won't surprise you guys, there's not really a lot to to dig into. <laughs> there's not a lot of articles. On people are yeah, people are uh, I don't know, pretending like it didn't exist. But uh, yeah, there's are. a there's a there's a piece of trivia that I saw that said um, that after reading the script, De Niro's the only thing he had to say to Joel Schumacher is, "When do we start?" And I like I like that 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 can be couched in either a very positive or a really negative light. It could be like, yeah, let's do it. When do we start? The other is, where's my fucking mark? Like, you're paying me, great. I'll be yeah. There. Where's the money? Cool, I'll do it. Well, I, I have to like talk out of the side of my mouth for two hours. Great. Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 interesting because yeah, you really could take it either way. I I don't know if he was excited to do this movie or not. I don't know. Um. So then De Niro uh, and Hoffman, they have their first kind of scene together in the laundry room where De Niro just fucking yells all sorts of terrible things at him. And he's like, all right. Like, the other thing, too, is that Rusty, say what you will about his character, but, like, he either he's a glutton for punishment, which certainly seems to fit the mold, or he just genuinely feels bad for this guy and he figures that eventually he'll break through to him. But my God, how many times do you have to be called terrible names by a person to just be like, I'm not going to fucking talk to you anymore? Anyway. Yeah, it, it was just, it was um, so frustrating too, because it's like, you know, <laughs> what, what, I, just leave, like, go away from, like, go, leave him alone. Let, let him have his stroke. Like, he doesn't want you around. Like, he doesn't deserve your sympathy either. Like, just go, like, go win that contest. 
I, 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 don't, I don't really understand it, but um, it is what it is. Rusty's boyfriend. I also don't really understand yeah. why De Niro lives in that building. That, yeah, I don't either. He, he almost, it, it actually makes no sense. I was going to say he almost does it to piss himself off, but that's not really the kind of character he is. And yeah. I, you, never, you never got the whole like, oh, I, 20 years ago, this neighborhood was nothing but, but cops. And now it's nothing but yeah. <laughs> It, it never made any sense to me why he would why he would do that. Go be a bigot. In, I don't want to say where bigots live in Staten Island, but I just don't want to say exactly where. Oh, <laughs> I know. It's where my family lives. In Staten Island? Is that where you're yes. from? Stop it. No, it's not, well, it's, I, I, I have family who does live in Staten Island. It's huge bigots. Oh, I don't know if they're huge bigots, but I'm sure they know where they're <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So go to Staten Island. There's a whole island for you guys. Yeah, yo. You know, <laughs> it's called the, over the bridge with your red hat. Bigot Island. Yeah. You're, you're, what's the bridge? It's the Verrazano Narrows. The Verrazano Narrows. It's my yeah. favorite bridge. It's such a nice bridge. Yeah, it's well, you know, such a terrible place. That's how your that's how your mind goes as you go across it. It narrows. <laughs> and it costs so much fucking money to cross that bridge. To just why go would to, you want to? You know the to only, go to Staten Island. <laughs> no, I haven't seen the King of Staten Island, which you know, whatever might be good, might be bad. The only movie I saw I, it. It's fine. <laughs> the only movie I know that really is set in Staten Island, which is my favorite, is mm. uh, How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. Matthew McConaughey's family is allegedly. From he's Staten Island born and raised. <laughs> Matthew McConaughey. Go, they go back to hang out with his Staten Island family. They know all their Staten Island stuff. They're really wonderful people. Does really he have an here. accent in that movie that's like a New York accent? No, fucking no. Southern accent. That, I would, accent. It's, like it's, it's classic McConaughey. He just sounds like yeah. he's from Austin. But he's supposed to be from New York. He's a huge Knicks fan. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> he's a man after he's a man after your heart, Kenny. People love that movie. That's it. Yeah. I, I don't even want to talk shit. People will come after me if I talk to you about that movie. <laughs> um, speaking of coming after you, Rusty's boyfriend, Sonny, comes after him at this point in the film and uh, and just like beats him up and is looking for money. And I don't I don't I really don't know. Like I, genuinely. And again, this is part of what you were saying earlier, Matt, which is that this movie also feels like it was edited within an inch of its life. It's like an hour 45. And there's like a two hour version of this film that makes more sense, but they were just like, fuck it. We got like people, you know, like, Thank life God. <laughs> yeah, it's like life's too short, but his boyfriend shows up and beats him up looking for money. And then he has this scene with, with Walt where he's like, he's not always like the, like, you know, the, the, the beaten, the beaten, you know, um, girlfriend uh, girlfriend it's just it's a very strange thing that i don't it's again it's a it's another thing we didn't need it's just it's a, it's a trope and it's a real yeah it's, and it's kind a of negative kind of dangerous yeah. trope and 100%. Really, you know learn like the the biggest takeaway matt did you see disclosure yes so the biggest takeaway from disclosure or or one of them but but was the the constant reinforcement mm-hmm of negative stereotypes for it being trans is not like being black or Latinx or Asian in that you do have to decide at some point that you were going to present as your, you know, the, as the gender you, you identify with, you have to make that decision and the constant reinforcement that trans people are not worthy of love and not worthy of jobs and not worthy of respect and not worthy of not worthy of dignity or even humanity in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. 
is really what I took away from that. And there are so few counterexamples. That's why a movie like Rocky Horror is so powerful to some extent. Yeah. You know, or a movie like uh, Priscilla Queen of the Desert, things like that. Even Tu Wong Fu. It's yeah. also just like these these movies that it's it's the the lens that you're viewing this from uh, through is more sympathetic. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, Robert De Niro hears that Rusty is trans and the first question is, how can you cut off your, your dick and balls? And it's like, what the fuck? Like, is that, that that's your first thought? Like, how, fuck you. Yeah. And that's, you know, it really yeah, just I, is per, I, I, per, perpetuating sorry, these, perpetuating yeah. these, these negative stereotypes. And, and frankly, the, the De Niro line you, you quoted is also a negative stereotype of like straight cis people that they're just so obsessed yes. with genitals. Like that's not necessarily true either. Um, and it's also another thing that like, as soon as I identify as trans, people are going to start asking about my genitals. Like that's disgusting mm-hmm. too. That's a horrible thing to perpetuate. So the idea that, that Philip Seymour Hoffman's Hopp- character, when she was in a romantic relationship, had to be abused in order to have anybody look at her that way is, is the kind of thing that keeps people closeted. Yeah, I, I I couldn't I couldn't agree more. You know, I, as I was watching the the disclosure documentary, that was sort of the thing that hit me was that whole sequence they do where they where they're talking about all of the various ways that trans people have been killed on television and in movies, and you, and when you see it all put together like that, I was just like, my God, it's just it's 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 really problematic. Like it's I, I, it just it didn't even really occur to me. Um, you know, I've I've, I've I've heard and read the, the Sansa Lambs argument, you know, and, and, but then when you see all of the sort of crazy trans characters that are serial killers or murderers, and then if they're not that, then they're being murdered by somebody else because of the fact that they're trans. It, it's, it's all really dangerous and, and perpetuates this terrible stereotype. Um, this, this movie, I feel like, Truthfully, it doesn't even really talk about the trans experience in any real way. It sort of it, it dances mm-hmm. around it a little bit, but it doesn't really get into it. Um, you don't have to like that's no, I know, I know. Like, it's a, a, but, being it, it 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 is about that, but like yeah, you don't have to. I I, I, I don't know. Like, what responsibility do you have? I think that's what's also so disappointing about this movie, like going into it and seeing the trailer, the trailer makes it seem like it is a ex cop teaming up with a drag queen. You don't know what, like what that means. It's just like, Oh, okay. Like Philip yeah. Seymour Hoffman's playing a drag queen. And then you watch the movie and it's just so dark and tonally off. And Robert Jr. has a stroke and Philip Seymour Hoffman is playing trans and being beaten by his boyfriend, like her boyfriend. And like, it's the fact that that this movie came was written and directed by a gay man is like me, like dude, like you, you, why, why did you, you should have just asked somebody, anybody. Yeah. And it's like you, I don't know. It's, and I'm not even saying like Philip Seymour Hoffman shouldn't have been trans, but it's like the way that he, Jules Schumacher wrote this movie was just so offensive that it's like, you didn't have to do it this way. And that, that's what's so yeah. frustrating about it. Yeah. I, I mean, that's sort of, <laughs> It's, we've said this before on this podcast, but I mean, it, it, it bears repeating as well. I can't imagine reading this script and saying, 
here's $15 million. Like, now I understand that perhaps he secured Robert De Niro. And once he had De Niro, perhaps it was, the, I mean, I don't know. But I don't understand how a development executive can read this script and not say like, I think we need another pass. I think we need to clarify some things. I think that some stuff's working, some stuff's not. That's the stuff that really hits me with movies like this. I mean, we've 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 watched bad movies. Kenny and I have watched bad movies. We've talked about bad movies, um, you know. But there's a bad, stupid action movie, and then there's this, which is trying to be socially conscious to some degree. It is written and directed by a gay man. Like it's, it seems to think that it's has something positive to put out into the world, but it is just tripping over itself in an attempt to do that. And that's the thing too, where it does. It, like I said earlier, it feels like the first draft of a script that no one ever rewrote. Because like really again, there, there were just so many plot lines like Rory Rory Cochran, right? That's yeah. his name. Rory Cochran like playing guitar and singing about his ex girlfriend and calling her a bitch and all this shit. And you're like, what is like? Why am I seeing this? What? Like, I who know. is this person? And why is and it just like there's so the door many... open in the in yeah. the hallway of his apartment? Yes, and, yes, yes. Just yeah. like so many threads to this movie that just yeah. don't go anywhere. And you're like, can you just like rewrite this? And like, I don't I don't know if that would help, but it was just like. Yeah, like so many things that m- maybe just got cut out in- through editing. Like again, thank God it wasn't longer than it needed to be. But it was just like, yeah, I just it, it's it it's it, Kenny to your point, it just should have been a like about Rusty. Like if that should have been our point of view. Like I didn't need Robert De Niro's point of view in this movie. Yeah, but then when you know the the the, the thing of the thing with that, the, the argument with that is. In 1999, they didn't make movies like that, right? Yeah. You didn't make any – there wasn't anything cl- – I mean, I might be wrong, but the first time I remember any movie where a trans person was the protagonist, not where a trans person was a supporting character, where they were the protagonist was Tangerine. And I don't mm-hmm. think Tangerine came out until like 2016. And I think Tangerine like – yeah. And Tangerine was shot on iPhones for, you know, under a million dollars. So like it's a great movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. So like to some extent, it's there is a bit of a damned if you do, damned if you don't. Mm -hmm. Um, and you do your best with the circumstances. So like it's hard for me to just say Philip Seymour Hoffman never should have played the character, which I know no one is is saying in any kind of real way. Um, but it is. I don't know. I don't. I. I. I, If you get. This is what I'm trying to say. If you get your one shot at telling this type of story, which it seems like Schumacher was going to get, you have to fucking do better. The re- amount of responsibility you have yep. when you get your shot with $15 million and, a, and one of your two protagonists is a trans person, yep. you have to fucking birdcage it. You and that's what I think is it. also so, so disappointing about the movie is like on paper, it's like, okay, a gay man making a movie like this cool i'm gonna watch it and then you see it and you're like wait this isn't what it should be like what you blew it you blew it buddy and it's so unfair to put that on the one movie and i understand that too and this is like this is what 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 black actors and black directors and and black producers have been saying writers for years which is this idea of like if i'm making if i'm making a a black show about anything but anything unusual right if i'm making uh you know the black show about kindergarten it better fucking kill or else we'll never get to do it again mm-hmm. and that is a that is a big fucking heavy load but it also is the reality of like this 
fucked up town that the that the 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 whites in charge were going to use anything to stay in charge and not have to you know diversify the people behind in front of the camera i i think that there's also you know it's interesting because i i I do feel like i really do find joel schumacher a fascinating filmmaker I, i really do i look at his filmography and i think he's got a lot of really interesting films um some of them i would even say i i love um, he's certainly got more, uh, you know, swings and misses than he has home runs, but, but I, I respect the guy. I, and, and I do think he does some really interesting stuff. And I, I watched this film and it just feels like he didn't ever say no to himself, right? Like there's, there's, as you said, a million characters in this thing. He was just interested in a bunch of colorful characters, just all existing in the same universe, but without any real reason for them to Mm -hmm. connect. Like this isn't Magnolia. I mean, this isn't just like the interconnectedness of life. This is just like, Oh, and then there'll be a guy who's like the, the landlord of the place and he'll be up to shady things. But, but I I don't really know what he's up to, but he's up to something. And you're like, and then his bird dies. (laughs) It's monstrous. (laughs) So it's, 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 it's one of those things where um, it feels to me personally, like, if Batman and Robin had worked, who knows what might have happened? Because it seems like there was a massive course correction off of that movie, despite the fact that I agree with you, Matt, that movie is doesn't work, but is fun. It's, it's his most flamboyant, his most garishly in-your-face, crazy, candy-colored movie. And then he course corrects into 8mm and this, and it feels like he never really gets back to making fun movies again everything yeah. he does from there is dark and brooding or an attempt at doing so and i i wish that this film had been what we're kind of talking about it being which is a movie that wraps his arms around a, 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 an interesting culture that he clearly has a connection to rather than making it this somber weird crime drama that it doesn't need to be I think that's what's like so sad about it. Like to that point of just like, yeah, he did Batman and Robin and it didn't do as well as he wanted. And he just almost like closeted himself back up and wrapped himself yeah. in a masculinity towel. And it was like, look, I can be a gritty and angry. Like here's a movie about snuff films. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> like, go too far. <laughs> ah, that's great. Here's a movie it's about true. snuff films. It's, it's like here is here is poison ivy in a gorilla costume doing a dance intoxicating an entire room of people and the critics were like no and he's like okay with snuff films <laughs> it's like it's like there's something in between those two <laughs> things Joel. yeah i mean that's kind of the thing and i feel like he never he never comes back it's you know, it's just it's just he gets darker and darker batman and robin is also emblematic of this is the one chance to do most a re- things really, you know? Really, yeah. <laughs> what chance, the one chance to do a really over the top, campy superhero movie. And sorry, guys, he fucking blew it. That movie's the <laughs> worst. <laughs> but like, <laughs> but, but, I, but yeah. it is like the campiest. There is yeah. there 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 is. I should watch it again. I should watch it all. You should watch it again. I I I've, I've seen it a hundred times, but it's. The really? Wor- yeah, because you watch those movies on Cinemax but, or HBO sure. like over and over. I think sure. I know every fucking line. I mean, it. let's chill. When we got our first DVD player that was like the size of like a table back in like the late 90s, it yeah. came with Batman and Robin on DVD. 
like they couldn't get rid punishment? of DVDs of that movie. Yeah, they're like, here's Man. your five hundred dollar DVD player and a copy of a movie nobody wants. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I feel like that was back in the day when the DVDs were flippers, where one side I, was widescreen and one yeah. side is pan and scan. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah and I mean, you never, you never knew which side was which because it, it didn't really say which was. And like, it's like, yeah. is widescreen the part that goes down or is it the other side? Yeah. Yeah. Is it, yeah. Side that goes yeah. down. I love that, I love that people listening to this podcast right now are just like phone booths, video stores, <laughs> DVDs that it's have widescreen on one side and yeah. pan and scan on the other. It's our dead tech episode. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I, I, uh, I don't know. I, I think that. I mean, listen, this movie's a misfire. I'm just. I want to hit a couple other things really quick uh, in the plot, but like Walt's buddies pay for a dancer slash prostitute to come over to his place um, to sleep with him. Uh, that scene made me really sad. <laughs> I just. It, it was yeah. just a really. It's a really sad scene, and and. Despite the fact that I agree with you, Kenny, that, that De Niro is sort of hamstrung by the, the physicalness of it, that scene, he's, he's very good in that scene. And it's, it's, a, it's a sad scene. But um, then we get our fucking gay Republicans, which is stupid. Oh, here's the part that I loved. Uh, the surprise party that they throw for Walt and one of the drag queens has cufflinks that shoot BBs? Yeah, Wilson, Wilson already. Yeah. Wait, why? And, and like- why? And it's the sort of thing where, like, there's so many moments in the movie, like, with Roy Cochran playing guitar, where you're like, this is going to come back, right? Where it's like, the the gun cufflinks, where you're like, oh, that's going to be important, and it just isn't. And you're like, what what was the point of the gun cufflinks? Those are Chekhov's cufflinks. (laughs) They were just, like, left over from Batman and Robin, and he was like, "Ah, (laughs) I I do agree that, like, I think, Matt, you made this point earlier. That party's really kind of uh, an endearing moment for all the characters. It's the, it was like the best part of the movie because yeah. then it's like the hot pizza guy from downstairs comes up and they take his shirt off and you're like, yeah. yes, this is great. It's just and he and wanted his, to be there and then his yeah his, his Uncle Tony shows up and pulls him out and pulls him down. Hey, hey, what do you do when you're supposed to be the to deliver? Comforting with drag queens. <laughs> Uh, and it's but it's also great because like you know angry uncle is not yelling at gay people he's just like get back downstairs you got work to do yeah yeah leave uh, these nice ladies alone it said (laughs) not that that really was what the movie could have been that's the tone they should have been going for the whole time it's not that hard no. And there wasn't any there I hated this movie there were no revelations (laughs) De Niro had this uh black uh physical therapist who served no purpose but to be the foil for a few racist jokes um that character could have played into it a little more uh there's just all these pieces that in in any of our screenplays because we're all tremendous writers we would have consolidated it and worked and worked (laughs) it in such a way that these characters affected each other and affected the story and it I just did. yeah it it needed to be streamlined it needed to be sharpened like it just it it's it felt as we've said before but we'll say it again like it felt like a first draft it felt like someone hadn't told him to do another pass i'm just like this isn't ready yet it's just it, it's half-baked like um, i'll say this there is a nice scene where at this point we've got walter well, what's up i said like the departed <laughs> Uh, so this there is like the Departed, scene. right? What's that? Yeah, Ken, Kenny loves like the Departed. It. This movie's a lot like the Departed. Yeah, I think it's 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 yeah. it's 
just like the departed and that they're both just the fucking worst. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we do have a scene where Walter and Rusty are talking and Walter confesses that he has all this money stashed away. Um, I, I don't particularly love the him stashing the money away, but I don't hate the fact that Walt is upset because Rusty used him as a cover. Th- that, that was a nice emotional turn. Probably the only good one in the movie, but like it's a moment where where Walt's insecurities come to light in a way that is somewhat interesting. Even if I don't, even if I think that basically from this point on, it's, it's clunky as a motherfucker. It doesn't really make any sense. The money, the people, all this shit, uh, Walt straight up murders a guy, shoots him in the head. Um, it's, it's just, it's, it gets fucking crazy. Uh, and, 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 and doesn't and not work. And not, <laughs> Not in a fun way. Very, very low on hijinks. Very high on on not low fun. jinx. Low, low jinx. jinx. <laughs> so many low jinx in this movie. Should have renamed this movie Flawedness. <laughs> I like. I like flawful. <laughs> I, I also have to say too that I think that the last scene of this film in the ambulance is supposed to be endearing, but it is not. Mm. Which is. Walt gets shot in the shoulder and as you do get shot in the shoulder. He's in the ambulance. The paramedic says that Rusty can't come in, but Walter says he's my sister or she's my sister or whatever. No, he, says he says he's it. my sister. misgendering her. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, then she gets well, into the ambulance and rather than using the money for a uh, sex reassignment, she, decides to use the money to get a bullet out of his shoulder, which, spoiler, a lot less money. <laughs> Just for what it's worth. Um, and then the last line of this film, I think, is literally Walt turning to Rusty and saying, thank God you didn't cut your dick and balls off yet. <laughs> I, I had assumed, and I mean... I, space? <laughs> Just even ignoring that line because it's awful. But I had assumed that it was only part of the money. It wasn't all of it. Well, he hands right? him a, a sweaty wad of cash from his. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how much it is. A sweaty, sweaty wad of cash. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's in her corset. I feel like it's definitely it's it's getting all that sweat. There is as a sweaty person yeah. myself. There, I can I, relate. I, I, look, I already took my sweatshirt off. I'm sweating so hard right now. You did. I see we, that, we I see that yeah. Peloton behind you. We should be Peloton friends. Oh, we should. It's my yeah. favorite thing. I know it's the best. It's it's. I was thinking so about dumb. getting one. It's but everything. It's worth it. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like there's literally use it every day because i'm trash <laughs> yeah me too. i'm forky uh yeah it's it's a bad scene that i think they think is kind of like a what 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 like i think they think it's like these guys they're so crazy and kooky they love each other it's all gonna be fine and i, I just I, I i it's crazy and then and then they sing that song over the entire fucking credits yeah it's did you watch like, is this going to go anywhere? Or is this just them singing the song over again? And it is. Just them singing the song over again, and it's bad. It's bad. It's terrible. Oh, that, that line and this whole movie is a relic of a, of a time when being lambasted for your race, religion, gender identity, sexual identity, anything, was just part of your admission into patriarchal culture sure right so like 
the 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 last line is like now I like you so I can make fun of the fact that you're trans because why would you, mm-hmm. you know I like you we're friends now and and I think what's been made very clear over the last you know 20 years or whatever since we became out is no 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 that is re-traumatization and that is the kind of shit you have to drop when you respect people so mm-hmm. I think that that I, I think that that's like uh, that that and that, by the way that's also something Green Book does in Spades. So I, I I think that that's the kind of thing that like will forever kind of stick with me with this movie, which is like as long as you're willing, if you're a marginalized person, as long as you're willing to be marginalized, you know, publicly and take it, you know, take it like a man, uh, you can you can hang out with me. That's cool. So yeah, I, it's pretty horrible stuff. Just. I hated it. I hated it so much. It's 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 awful. Um. So, Kenny, should we talk? We're gonna do our top five Joel Schumacher movies. I know that Matt, you don't know if you were able to put five together, or I mean, I can talk about a couple movies that I really liked of it. Yeah. What do you? Yeah. Let's do that. Which ones do you like? But Matt, part of it was that like there's a very good chance that he didn't make five good movies. Just have to say the five least worse. I mean, honestly, I think my favorite is just Lost Boys because even as like, you know, it, it's it is so gay because the entire movie is just about like these yeah. like this boy wanting to be friends with these other boys who like hang out in this cave, and I'm like, yes, that is my vibe. Yeah. <laughs> like, absolutely, like I want to hang out with Kiefer Sutherland in a weird earring. And like ride around on motorcycles and go to yeah. a carnival all night. That sounds fucking great. <laughs> and then they'll do sex stuff. Like that sounds awesome. I might watch that movie tonight. It's a it's good a great movie. movie. It's a really and there's good like movie. sexy sax man. Like there's so many parts of that movie that are just like so gay. It's watch- also like it also to me is one of probably like ten like iconic eighties films. Like a film yeah. that I just associate with the eighties. And I don't know if it's because some of my favorite movies always seem to have a marquee where the Lost Boys is playing or like the yeah. poster just feels so iconic to me. It's such a fucking good poster. Um, I've never it, seen it. Really, the poster or the movie? A movie. Oh, wow. Wait, I think it really, you'll really like it, Kenny. Sorry. Okay. You should oh, watch it. So embarrassing. It's I think also I've got. Seen, I think I've seen every relevant Joel Schumacher movie aside from that uh, and Tigerland. But I will say the Lost Boys also has. One of the best last lines in a movie ever. I was gonna, I was gonna say it, and I'm glad you said you hadn't seen it because now I'm not gonna say it. Yeah. Because right, it I, is just like it is such a fun movie. I could you not love watch it with my kids. No, no. we watched. <laughs> How old Wolf. are they? They're young. We watched Teen Wolf last night. Oh, They're maybe eight. then. I think yeah. Well, Lost Wolf or Lost Boys is a little more it's a little darker. Than Teen yeah. Wolf, a little racist. Although Teen Wolf does have that scene where that extra shows their penis, so you know, huh? wait it's like one of the most famous like like bloop like gaffes of all time Uh, like in teen wolf in the last basketball scene one of the extras pulls their pants out and shows their penis oh wow we survived yeah the Uh, thing about teen wolf is that that movie's like that movie takes place during the day and lost boys is is all like it's all night gothic it's a little it's spookier i don't know that that it'll play as well it won't i'm not gonna watch lost boys with them i'll just sit and watch it alone but I think you'll love it, and I do think that the last line will be one of your favorite last lines, Kenny. All right, cool. Uh, what other what other movies of his, Matt? Do you like? 
I mean, I, I'm looking at the list right now. I mean, obviously, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin are just so ingrained in my mind together as one sure. movie. Sure. Like, it's hard for me to say. Like, I think Batman Forever is Two Face, and then Batman and Robin Correct. is Ice, uh, yes. Ice Man, right? Yes. Ice Man and Poison Ivy. Dr. Freeze, I think, uh, is what you mean. <laughs> Ice Man. Ice Man is X Men. Never mind. But Ice Man is also gay, by no, the way, and X Men. Is it Dr. Freeze? Mr. Mr. Freeze? Oh, sorry. I gave him a PhD. Wait, I shouldn't have given him. Clearly a doctor. The honorable Dr. Freeze. <laughs> if, he doesn't, if he doesn't have a doctorate, none of us need doctorates. Yeah. The, the, the PhDs are shit. Because this guy... <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Um, I feel like I saw Flatliners a long time ago, but I don't remember it. Um, yeah, it's on my list. Kenny, do you want to, do you want to walk through your five and we can, uh, we can uh, do this? And I'm, then I'm just we'll writing right movie. now. <laughs> Dr. Uh, I mean, I will also say, uh, falling down, I kind of enjoyed, it was like one of those like things that when I was a kid, like, oh, this movie's on, this guy's angry. Uh-oh. <laughs> 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 yeah, that sums it up. That was yeah. very, that was very, yeah, that, that was the tag. That yeah. was the tagline of the movie, I think. Yeah, I uh, think it was. All right, this guy's angry. You, I'll give you my. Five, what's your number five? I what's your five? What's your five? Number five, Batman Forever movie. I hate. <laughs> no, I think Batman Forever is fun. Um, I think Batman Forever is. <laughs> I think Batman Forever has some good shit. I think it has some really, really bad shit, and uh, mm-hmm. I think there are. Some, well, I love it. I, but I like. I don't like Tommy Lee Jones at all. Like I think his performance is the worst, but everything else about it I kind of like, and I like how stupid it is. I like the way Batman mm-hmm. figures it out. Like uh, he figures it out that you know it's it's like one big mystery wrapped inside of a riddle, wrapped inside of a yep. enigma. E enigma. Enigma. E. Yep. Uh, yep. I so it's such a stupid movie, <laughs> but I also really do love the uh, Chase Meridian in like hanging from one thing. And Robin hanging from the other thing, and Batman having to save mm-hmm. both. And I think the score is mm-hmm. fantastic, and I think the imagery is fantastic. So and I really think, like, I think the bat nipples is, are really kind of important to this movie. I think it's important. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. To, it's, I think I think it's important to hint and highlight at the campiness and the, kind of the inherent gayness of superheroes. Um, take the fucking piss out of all these fanboys a little bit. You are watching mm-hmm. grown ups dress up. And fight crime, like have a little more fucking fun with it. It was uh, a culture reset. It was an important moment. Cultural reset. I have, I have Batman Forever is a little higher on my list, and I'll, I'll say that I was perhaps never more excited to see a movie than I Neither was, was to I see I Batman did. Forever. I, I, I mean, I literally wanted those te- the teaser poster for the Riddler so badly that my mom almost. I can't even believe I'm saying this. That my mom almost broke into a bus shelter to, to get one out of it for me, which is very she, kind of her. She, she didn't. All, do it, she almost loved. She you. she literally was. Like, she almost. <laughs> loved um, ultimately, ultimately, I, I I got the poster through other means, but I truly don't think I, I had been ever more excited to see a movie than that film. And at the time, loved every minute of it. I watched it again me the too. other day on HBO Max. It's it's a silly movie, but. I, I kind of dig it. There's some good stuff in it. And Jim Carrey is like at his most Jim Carrey. But anyway, Phil, it's like, it is the pinnacle of Jim Carrey. I feel, it feels like. Phil, that's the poster <laughs> with the, with the, um, the, the question, question mark around the bat symbol. 
Uh, well, no, the teaser poster, the character poster for the Riddler, like the oh, one of his. Oh, the riddle me this, riddle me that. There was a shot. And it's a pretty iconic shot at this point. But when I saw it in the trailer of the question mark question coming mark around the bat signal, and the bat signal being the period at the bottom of the question mark, I thought that was the most powerful filmic image I had ever <laughs> seen. And there was something about that where I'm like, holy shit, Batman is in trouble. He's coming after the bat signal. You, if he takes out the bat signal, what do we have left? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, uh, I quite like that uh, movie, yeah, and I also yeah. love. I think Doctor Chase Meridian is such a good character name. It's I've, one of the best. Yeah, I th- I, I mean now I, I feel like we she's know she's chasing that line, man. She's chasing that, chasing line, that line between between Batman and between Bruce Wayne and the Bruce. Um, my number five is the client, which I I don't know. I I I I'm a sucker for a John Grisham movie, and I thought you know I I, I put the client in that time to kill at five. Basically, like I think the Schumacher's version of those uh, of those John Grisham books are is pretty solid. Uh, what's your number four, Kenny? A time to kill. Oh, there you go. Great. I like these movies. I'll always yeah, they're like good these movies. movies. They're yeah. solid movies. Uh, yeah. My number four. My number four is falling down. I had a very similar experience to you, Matt, which is I remember watching it with friends. Uh, I think that came out. What did it come out? Like ninety four or something like that. Ninety three, ninety four. Um, and just thinking to myself, like this movie is fucking edgy. This guy's really angry. Yeah. This, guy's, <laughs> this guy's really like this guy's not, like I, I don't know what this guy's gonna do. Um, and <laughs> like. It kind of was the proto Fincher kind of like there's a little bit of Fincher in there of like someone who's railing against, you know, the anti-establishmentarianism of it. Like it has a little proto fight club in it, um, which I think is, is interesting. Number What's your number three? three uh, St. Elmo's Fire. I've which- never seen it. Like I said, Schumacher doesn't make great movies. Uh, it's not a great movie, but it's like super watchable. I really yeah. love those actors, like to an actor. I, I find a lot of comfort in watching Judd Nelson and Emilio and Ali Sheedy and Demi Moore and Rob Lowe and oh, who's the last one? And um, Mayor Winningham. I think that like and Andy McDowell's in it. There's there's just there's something they try to do that movies don't ever really get, which is that like year or first couple years out of college uh, that now people always, you know, put in parents' basements or make them like dumb stoners, or it's just, it's just a very lame kind of arrested, arrested development situation. But like, I liked that these people were all trying to get their shit together and how hard it is when you're trying to get your shit together in earnest. Uh, And I think St. Elmo's Virus is, is an awesome song. I I I I don't hate. Who did the song? Who did the song? Uh, Cindy Lauper. Cetera, no, it's a man. But it's like Peter Cetera uh, or something. Oh, I, I Almost Fire. I think is a good movie. I think it does all the things you're talking about, Kenny. I think that it's a little bit of a relic of a different time. For sure. Which is that, um, like, I, I it was actually on TV the other day, and I caught the end of it. There's this moment at the end where Emilio Estevez, um, without consent, kisses Andy McDowell at the end of the movie. Yeah, and, that's his big. Uh, that's his big arc that he's gonna. Kiss and the Raper. music crescendos, and he drives away, thinking he's the cock of the walk. And I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? But all that being said, John Parr is the singer's name. The great sure. John Parr. All right. Uh, 
<laughs> my number th- my number three is Batman is Batman Forever. We already talked about that. What's your number two, Kenny? The client. We already talked about it. But I actually love two- I, I love this movie. I've seen it so many times. I just think it's it a works great movie. so well. Brad Renfro, Rest so fucking peace. good in this movie. Yeah. My number two is Lost Boys. Uh what's your number one, Kenny? Falling Down. The only movie I think he's done that's actually great and so fucking relevant to right now like all these motherfuckers in not wearing masks in their not wearing masks and all these people it it is it is white male rage over the littlest nothings that caused the biggest fucking problems that people took the wrong message from it's i i I always looked at schumacher's filmography again having never seen tiger land which people say is great and thought he also made this because like, yeah. I, I think it's truly great. My number one is Flatliners. Um, I I love Flatliners. Um, it's I think it's one of those movies that yeah, I like I think, Flatliners a lot too. It's got such a cool idea. I fucking love the idea of of mm-hmm. dying and bringing people back and like what that space in between life and death is. I think it's a great fucking poster too. Like it's also like Flatliners and Lost Boys is when I think Schumacher is at his visual best, like just amazing production design, like great lighting. He understands the visual motifs that he wants to play with. And he's just really cooking with gas. And then he makes Batman movies and it all turns into whatever. But those two films, Flatliners and Lost Boys, I think are him at his best. I actually wish I put Flatliners on my list because this is why I like Flatliners. Flatliners is a drug movie that actually actually makes drugs look appealing. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that in a good way. I mean, like it actually gives you a bit of the rush that you yeah. get and people don't necessarily know that the crash is going to happen. So it's it, whatever you watch a train spotting or whatever in that love train spotting, all that shit, but you know that the crash is going to happen. And that's a big yeah. arc of that movie. Doing drugs is, is about, getting closer to death. It is about tempting mm-hmm. death. They literalize that that movie and make yep. it very exciting. And I think it's a very, very great idea and a pretty cool movie too. Yeah. And it also gave us one of the best lines in uh, Popstar. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have seen Popstar. I love that movie. <laughs> the, the Bill Hader moment of flatlining during concerts and him saying, did I piss myself again? <laughs> i could talk about pop star literally all day long it's fantastic it is criminally underrated and i think it should have made a hundred million dollars in its opening weekend like not even exaggerating i think it's one of the funniest movies i've ever seen in my life i feel that way i feel that way about mcgruber uh, also, also fantastic. Again, but the same the same people they keep making these great yeah. movies, and no one is going it's to see weird. them. It's a problem. Yeah. It's weird. Uh, so, Matt, let's uh, let's rate uh, flawless. Um, what, from zero to ninety nine. Uh, what's your what's your rating for this film before the podcast uh, and then after the podcast? So, like, what, what I thought it was going to be. I, I hadn't seen it before. No, not what you thought it was going to be. What it was when you came on oh. the podcast and what it is now, because we obviously changed your opinion. For better or worse. So coming into the podcast, I would probably <laughs> say it was 10 tens, tens across the board. Woo! 10 out of 99. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then now after talking about it, it's probably 
let's see, a straight up zero. Like, I mean, one maybe that's because a, there's like, there's like, that's a cold maybe shower like, right there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I am, Woo! yeah, Frey Tell in pose telling this movie off. Damn, Phil. I, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I'm not, that is, that's, that's icy. Uh, I'm not, I'm not as low as you, but I, I mean, it's, it's, this is not a good movie. I, I, before we sat down for the podcast, I had it at a 38. Um, <laughs> and after this conversation, I'm, I'm at a 25. Um, it's, it's not a good movie. Um, but it's, you know, as I said up top, I think it's got the best of intentions. I would never recommend anybody watch this film, but if they did watch this film, <laughs> I think they'd, they'd probably find something redeeming about uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance and perhaps some of the things it has to say about, I don't know, human contact. <laughs> oh, remember that? Um, yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I forgot to ask Matt, Matt what he's watching during the, the pandemic. We'll do it next yeah. time you're on. We'll do, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I had it at 34. I thought it was pretty, you know, horrible, but not like fucking zero horrible. After the podcast, I am going to drop it down quite a bit. Uh, I'm going to go exactly where you went, Phil. 25. Yeah. Um, it's not that it's, it's not that I think anything is particularly good about it. And I do think it's offensive and I do think it's dangerous, but I wasn't super bored. And there is something to be said for it was marginally yeah. watchable. Yeah. Um, and some of the movies we've done are so mind-numbingly boring that I do uh, I, I do have to give some points to a movie that like I didn't you know watch on my phone the entire time. So uh, watch while scrolling. I mean, so uh, mm-hmm. yep. so there you go. Twenty five. Yeah, I mean, listen, this is not this is not a good movie. I'm not under any, you know, I, I don't think that uh, I don't think it's a good movie, but we covered it. I'm glad I watched it on some level, you know, um, it exists. Mm-hmm. R.I.P. Joel Schumacher. I was just going to say R.I.P. Joel Schumacher. He gave, us, Joel. He, he gave us some he gave us some really cool stuff. Uh, he took some swings and I respect him for the swings. But gave us a great um, article like uh Within the oh last eighteen God. months, he's a cool dude. That I mean, art, just- his article about how many people he's had sex with is just ten thousand, like, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think it was. I think it was eight women and ten thousand men. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was great. It's just like <laughs> it was amazing. There's also I don't know if you follow if either of you follow uh, Matthew Libatique on Instagram by any chance, um, but he's he's worth following, um, and he shot the number twenty three. The uh, infamous Jim Carrey, Joel Schumacher movie where he's obsessed with the number 23 and he goes crazy. Anyway, all that being said, Matthew Libatique didn't make any of our list. Weird. Yeah. Uh, Matty Libatique had a little uh, post after Joel Schumacher passed away about just what it was like working with him. And he sounds like a guy that you wish I, I, that, that I bet we would have had a blast making a movie with Joel Schumacher. So for what that's worth. Um, thank you for being here, Matt. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for it. having me. And we hope that you'll come back soon for something else in the future. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for I mean, at this point, how many movies do you have left? <laughs> oh, God. We still have like Thousands. 150 or something oh, like wow. that. Oh, yeah, yeah, we still got Millions. But, um, and we also, you know, so, but we, we absolutely love to have you back. Um, yeah. Next week, we're doing The Limey with David Sims. Ooh. Um, do you have, uh, do you have thoughts on The Limey or uh, Steven Soderbergh by any chance that you'd like to share with us? Me? Uh, yeah. Oh, I, I mean, I, I actually like the Lemmy a lot. I saw it when I was in college and I thought it was a fun movie. And I love Soderbergh. Um, uh, even though Contagion gave me my first panic attack in the movie theater. 
Yeah. That's why I've never watched it. That's why I've never watched it. It's terrible. It's terrifying. You can it's watch it now. Movie, you're fucking is, living it. So yeah, <laughs> but it's like everything that I'm having a panic attack or had a panic a panic attack over is like, oh, cool. This is life now. Yeah, <laughs> which is also yeah. like great movie. You made me feel something. Yeah, uh, I think Soderbergh's a genius. Um, you know, the best. Yeah. He's the best. I, I can't the wait best. to talk about him. Um, it's going to be a blast. Uh, when are you guys and- doing Logan Lucky? <laughs> that wasn't a 99 movie. We, we'll be partying know, like it's it, 2017. It, yeah. Fucking Logan Lucky is, oh my God. Ugh. It's it's really great. He's, what is, I, I what is your favorite Soderbergh movie? Filmmakers. Matt, because yeah, I, know the, I, know the, one, Matt? I know that we'll do ours next week, but what's your favorite, Matt? I mean, honestly, like looking at his the list of his movies right now, I mean, I might even say it might be Logan Lucky because it a I thought was one of the funniest movies I had seen in a long time. But like it's that and like Oceans of like Oceans Eleven, you know, Magic Mike. I love I love those movies. But like Logan Lucky was just so fun and just so ridiculous and just like I really love the characters so much. Like it just it was such a great time. And also as someone who like grew up with NASCAR and like going to NASCAR races in Georgia. Like it's like he, I, it felt like he was onto something with like a heist movie at a racetrack. Yeah, cool. is like cool. Uh, I think I, that he is he's one of those filmmakers that I honestly believe every film or television show that he does, you can palpably feel how much he loves making movies. Yeah, yeah. and that how much he just he has such pure joy in the making of it. And Logan Lucky to me is one of those films that it just radiates off the screen that everyone is having the time of their lives making this thing. Yeah. Matt, I, I probably, re- I probably reference magic Mike in, in pitches more than anything, more than any other movie. There's just, there, 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 so that fun. movie is a fucking, it, it's, it's a Swiss watch. Like it's, it's so good. and I know. And then there, there are some things that it deviates from classic structure that I love too. Like I'm so taken by the fact that Alex Pettifer is your protagonist going into the movie and winds up becoming your villain. Like what, yeah. what a great like structural turn. Uh, I, I do. I absolutely love that movie. Uh, I absolutely love Soderbergh. I think like there's a pretty good case. That he's the best filmmaker the last 20 years. So. And it's so funny too, because magic Mike XXL is also, I know he didn't direct it, but he, yeah. I think he DP'd it. And it's also like you can tell that he still loves that world, and even if he's not directing it, he's still involved in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because also Magic Mike XXL has one of my favorite scenes, like in cinema, of just like fucking Joe Manganiello like pouring water on himself at the gas station, which <laughs> yeah. is like, this, what is this art? Like, Nissan Sen. Like, I just love it. Yeah, <laughs> I think there's something. I mean, Alex, you guys both know about Alex Pettifer's tattoo that he has on his pelvis. No, he has a tattoo. I actually don't. He has a tattoo like right above his, uh, right above his dick that says "You're welcome." That's cool. That's just cool. Yeah. So, <laughs> I love it. Know, knowing that he has to be your villain is the way I see. Oh it. no, that's awesome. That's like the I, I, I that's that's insane. It is decidedly not awesome. It is so cool. I can't even. No, 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 no. That's like I, I like this is like a maybe a too too much information of a personal story, but it's like I hooked up with a guy like decade decade ago, uh-huh. and he had the worst tattoos I'd ever seen, which was like I think he had like honestly had like a Monster Energy drink tattoo. Oh, but then God. He, but then he had uh, like a tramp stamp, which was his initials. In case you forgot, and it was just like 
It, but it was just like in, in case people forget yeah. who they're with. Like, Don't what call is this? The wrong like, name? It's right there. It was just so weird. <laughs> so weird. Like, what is this? <laughs> That's amazing. It's like he was giving you clues. Yeah, just like just in case you forget, the initials are on the back. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, well, that was great. Thank you so much, Matt, for coming on. Yeah, really appreciate it. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it. You are the podcast like it. 1999. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.